Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. And all without saying, Schaffer Schaffer Häuslerbauer. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com and I'm joined by my co-host Simon Maddox. How are you, Simon? I'm, I'm a bit confused now. Like, I thought my German was okay, but you've just thrown me a real curveball. I don't know what you just said. It's at save and save to build a house, I think is the translation. I think it's a Schwabish phrase. Okay. The Schwabish have a reputation for being penny pension. Mm-hmm. I guess it's the same the same stereotype we have for Scottish people. I guess a lot of their phrasing is about being careful with your money. <laughs> and one of them is about saving and saving to build your house. I mean it makes sense. It's not often you have a load of idioms about like getting on the property ladder. <laughs> <laughs> goes to show how forward-thinking the uh, the Schwabish are, I guess. It's just very <laughs> practical. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, the sort of idea is that you pay for quality, right? So you, you save up your money and you buy something good rather than buying something immediately to satisfy whatever desire you have, whether it's furniture or, mm-hmm. I don't know, something else, a car. And at least that that's what I've, I've, I've come to understand about living in this neck of the woods. So Chibo and Ikea are frowned upon. Surprisingly, Chibo's still successful, you know, so... Do like <laughs> a, a sort of rustic phrase. Do enjoy them, but... Anyway, how are you? What's been going on? Not not a huge amount, really. Like, everything's all right. Everything's ticking along nicely. And, uh, yeah, I was looking forward to being able to, mm-hmm. like, start focusing on our garden. There's a lot to do, a lot to learn. I bought my wife a, a book on gardening throughout the year, from the Royal Horticultural Society, so she gets to learn some some really bizarre English along the way. Because, yeah, often at our old flat, we'd have lots of plants on the balconies and on our terrassa. And my wife would say something like, do you think we should do, like, do you think we should cut this? And I'd always be like, I don't know. Um, and then my wife would just, like, follow her instinct and do what she felt right. And then the next, next year, I'd be like oh yeah, I probably should have done that. So I thought a book on gardening would be a good good investment for her birthday. Uh, and I think there's going to be one of those apps that you can just identify the plant yeah. uh, and its care requirements. I think there are a lot of those around now. There's a lot out there that we don't know very much about. Uh, and so far, I'm only claiming responsibility for the grass. I think that's probably <laughs> that's my, my level, my horticultural level. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I went out in the garden and cut the grass yesterday or the day before and... Oh man, like it's the skill sets that you, I think you're supposed to have or you feel like you should have, like gardening mm-hmm. is one of them, DIY is another one, like skill sets you feel like you should have learned. I know absolutely nothing about gardening except what I've learned from having to cut grass and have a garden, but I really don't know that much. When my wife and I go out to try and do something, it is kind of a, it's like a guessing game. Is this a thing that we do? Oh yeah, I think <laughs> so. Like, let's try that. But my wife's way more organised, so... But she looks like she has a plan, but then we'll get down there. There's no plan. <laughs> <laughs> Attack that bush, it's Nick. Like, yeah, it's basically like, just, just cut that. Let's see what happens when we cut that. It's not our garden, because we're renting, but we're, we're going to move, so we'll have a, a proper garden of our own, which is a terrifying prospect. Yeah, talking about digging up trees, and I'm like, that's way beyond my skill set. Like, digging up a tree... <laughs> Like, what's that? That's got to be like 14 hours worth of YouTube videos that I'll have to watch before I can get to I'd assume so. Like, I, I did uh, a summer uh, where I worked with a friend of mine who was a tree surgeon uh, mm-hmm. in the UK. Uh, I have a debilitating fear of heights, uh, which very much limited me to groundwork. <laughs> but yeah, I definitely saw firsthand that, yeah, like removing a tree can be multiple days' work. Obviously, if we're talking a fruit tree in your garden, then it's, mm-hmm. it's not going to be so complex. But instinctively, I'm like, I want to keep a tree. I don't want to cut down a tree. I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. I, I, th- I, I feel you very much. Like The garden we have now has been carefully mm-hmm. cultivated over three decades by the previous people mm-hmm. that lived here. And we have 
trees and vines and roses that have been brought from Turkey. And wow. yeah, there's a lot of sentimental value in them. Mm. The property owner really instilled in us that to keep the vines going especially was important to him because those were his father's vines. Mm. Um, so yeah, I need to work out, I need to watch a few videos on vine it's maintenance. It's responsibility, right? It is a little bit. But yeah, it's, it's why we got the, the place, I think. We were both very proactive uh, in this. Um, my wife went to a Waldorfschule and actually mm. had like, I don't know if it was lessons or a course, but there were, like garden maintenance uh, mm. and things like that was part of the curriculum there. And when he heard that, he turned to us and was like, I can imagine the two of you living here. Do you want to live here? It's like, yes. Mm. <laughs> it's <laughs> a thing. You. It's not even just like Waldorf Schuler or, or sort of alternative <laughs> education. You get wild kindergartens and you, you will be walking through the woods and there's just like a setup for, it's basically a school area that for mm-hmm. kids to sort of interact with the environment, interact with the woods. And there's sometimes they're a bit more organized than others, but we walked past one the other weekend. Instinctively, I feel yeah. like it's a bit hippy-dippy, right? So, like, that's probably the conservative element in it. But I think, ultimately, ah, it's good. Like, if I walk through the woods, I don't know the name of plants and I don't know the names of trees. I sort of know. Like, if I see an acorn, <laughs> I'm like, all right, yeah. Or, like, a pine cone, you kind of got an idea. But it's not like I'm looking at a leaf and going, ah, yeah, from the, from the shape of the leaf, I can tell that it's a... I, I mean, I, I grew up in a very rural area and my the main school i went to as a child had a huge amount of woodland attached to it that we could go off and play in mm. had to put on a boiler suit and then you had like 100 acres to run around in pretty much unsupervised what? uh only one kid lost a few fingers once <laughs> but apart from that it was it was all right so yeah i mean i think it's interesting you mentioned these these kindergartens in the woods there's a real duality mm. uh, here in germany like you see these kids like appearing out of the woods in like a like romper suit ready for anything. And then you see the other side where it's like kids getting onto the U-Bahn, the underground, as like a gang of 20, by, like supervised by one adult. And they're mm. just like comfortably riding on public transport. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess these, these kids have been prepared for all eventualities. Either the future is, is rosy and sort of technologically driven or if it all comes crumbling down they'll survive in the woods <laughs> no yeah they're sort of given wilderness training survival yeah. skills how to how to hack up a boar <laughs> yeah i mean i hope they're not teaching them hunting there's definitely elements of that <laughs> you think in bavaria for sure i'm sure that happens here wouldn't surprise i would have thought that's a parental activity tracking animals and like identifying footprints of animals i'm sure that's part of the kindergarten curriculum in these valid kindergarten yeah i mean most of the stuff i see is just like various objects made out of wood but who knows what's in the classroom there's like sharpening spears or something like that who knows (laughs) anyway for those of you who are up to date with what's been going on behind the scenes at decades from home you will know that simon has spent the last month moving out of his old city flat and now is relocated with his wife and cats, of course, in the leafy suburbs of his Bavarian city. Looking at him now, it is clear that he has aged rapidly and and has let his beard get properly out of control. Are you doing okay there, mate? Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Like we've basically had two moving days over the course of the month. Like the day where we got the keys to this place, mm-hmm. we had a van and moved the essentials, like our bed and our living room and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but then we had our old flat for another month. Uh, and a friend of ours was moving in there to basically like squat in it for the month. Um, and so there were things we had to leave there to sort of make it livable for her. 
and we were kind of hoping that we could maybe like sell on a couple of things or get rid of them and so we knew there was going to be this day at the end of the month mm. where it would happen and yeah it was all a bit of, uh, of a crazy mess we ended up getting a van from dpd uh, like the package delivery company we actually had one of oh, their right. marked vehicles that a friend of mine managed to sort for us so we were able to park illegally and nobody beeped not one person beeped because they was like oh fucking dpd <laughs> dickhead uh, so that was a real nice little advantage I'm all right now. And as we record this, uh, the wife and I are less than 24 hours away from handing over the old place. And so I've done the normal thing and run ourselves completely ragged in the final few days, getting everything squared away and up to the standards stipulated by federal law or in our contract, uh, whichever's easier to reach. Naturally, this move has not been a normal one due to the restrictions put in place by Corona. Uh, it's limited the amount of people we could rope into helping out. This is going to be a discussion about... <laughs> about how I couldn't help you. <laughs> this is an interesting thing, especially when you're part of a merry band of immigrants. Helping people move is pretty much one of the best ways to ingratiate yourself into this crew. You should, if things are being run properly by the people you've agreed to help, be filled up with beer and fast food as a way of payment for being part of the human daisy chain, passing one box to the next in line from your friends from the fifth floor move. The gifting of beer and food, if not done, allows you to quickly know that that particular person can get to fuck and there's no longer one who warrants favours. These things are good to know, for sure. Yeah, that thing about making sure that the people who are helping you are well-fed. Don't know that it's really that mm. big a deal in, in Britain. I remember helping people move house and no one was buying pizza and beer, particularly yeah. for each other. Like, certainly as, as students uh, here, it's a big thing. It really is a big thing. Like, almost to the point where you, when you first yeah. get to the place someone's moving from to help them, They'll like show you what you're gonna get. It's like, look, yeah, I've bought two crates of beer and I'm gonna order some pizza later. And you're like, yeah, yeah, motivation. Off we go. Let's do this. I think the first move I, I helped with here, before I'd even picked up a box, I was given a beer and told to drink it. It was like ele <laughs> 11 in the morning. So I drink that and then we'll get started. And I mean, it's, it's nice doing these things with a little bit of a buzz. Uh, it's certainly mm -hmm. not a hindrance, I think. Uh, especially mm. for the aches and pains that come as the day goes on. It's exactly as you said, that if you don't do it, you're unlikely to help someone move who didn't do it before. It's kind of expected that, that you're going to be provided with, with some kind of payment. This is the one sort of silver lining I have from this move is I don't now have an obligation to help 10 more people move house on the back yeah, end. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But the best case scenario is you're helping someone on the first floor, but you get a lot of these sort of tenement blocks, don't you? Especially in Nuremberg. And it's like five floors. We've got a friend who lives on like an eighth floor. If they mm. wanted to move house, I'd just fake my death. I think it's the only way forward. It's be like, oh no, so Nick died recently. Yeah, I, I think on the really tall buildings, there are, there are definitely professional services that are, are well worth the money mm -hmm. in that scenario. You have these companies that have like pneumatic mm -hmm. lifts that reach up from the outside and mm -hmm. you just lower things down. It's really simple. I've never seen that no. in the UK, though. Have never you, you seen ever those, seen those no. those lifts that attach to the no, outside of the that. window? Well, I remember the last move we had, the, the movers discussing whether they could winch something out the window. And I was, I was, part of me was like, that's my stuff, you're winching out the window. That's not, doesn't make me feel great. But the other part of me was like, mm -hmm. I really want to see this. I really want to see it happen. Like, how does it work? But yeah, sadly, they didn't. We ended up carrying everything down the stairs. As we were not able to rope in the whole gang to help us out, we had two options. Number one, pay professionals to take this all off our hands. Or two, cherry pick a couple of brave souls who we could form a bubble with for the sake of the move. 
We're no spring chickens these days, edging ever closer to 40. What I found this means is that a large number of the options were quickly ruled out by back injuries or rickets or whatever Victorian illness had struck them down. <laughs> Nick, who I had banked on for being my power Geordie, picking up boxes by the half dozen, decided to go and completely fuck his back in the weeks before the move, which was really helpful. I was very sympathetic for, to you, my man. You really were in a lot of pain. But there was a point where we were like, yeah, you'll be fine in two weeks, yeah? You'll be fine in two weeks. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a lot of optimism. But yeah, the upshot of it was that my right-hand man had to be replaced by a silver-haired Australian fox in his 50s. Shout out, Rob, you lovely, lovely man. Uh, Rob did an incredible job. Uh, you're a sterling lad. He really is. He uh, he really stepped into the, the chasm that I'd left behind by basically mm-hmm. being unable to walk for several weeks. Hi. And Rob's always good to move because he's he's one of those he's one of those people who's who's quite slight, but he can lift like triple his own body weight. Yeah, I, I was I was very impressed with his with his pulling power. <laughs> <laughs> I helped him move a few years ago. I think it's a very blokey thing of like how much can you lift, and and I think that's something you do. In your twenties, where mm-hmm. I, I can lift this much or I can lift that much, uh, and as, as you sort of creep into your thirties, it becomes how can how much can I sensibly lift? How how well ordered can I carry this? How well ordered can I get this into the back of a van? It's always difficult to uh, fit everything you want in the van, and you want to do it in as the minimum amount of moves as possible. If you can get everything into a van, it's it's a good moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, f- flashes of trauma coming over yeah. me. <laughs> But it's, it's, there's always like little things like where do you park the van? Like I can't drive vans. Rob's very, very adept at driving a van. I think it's the fact you can't look out the back window that freaks me out. You can only, you only use your mirrors. And then you've got mm. the, the problem of finding somewhere to park your van. Oh, God. Yeah, with the, the first van we rented, uh, I wasn't insured on it. So, so my wife had to do the driving. And I think by the end of the day, she was she was quite in love. The height of the, of the van and just being able to sort of see so well. When it came to the next vehicle being sorted out, when we got the keys, I was like, do you want to drive? Because it's yeah. a massive sprinter. She was now adept and I was still <laughs> feeling a little bit panicked. Luckily, outside our old place, we had uh, two entrances mm-hmm. that go into courtyards. One of them, we know the people very well, so we're able to block that off. And the other one, uh, we were just like, screw them. If they need mm-hmm. anything, they'll beep. So we did park illegally for the entirety of the move, but nothing came of it. So victory, I'd say. Like when we moved, we had to tell the city because we're moving in, in the inner city area. You tell the city that you're going to move and they come and put signs up saying like you can't park in these parking spaces on these dates. And you, yeah, I think you have to contact the police as well. I think that's the case too. But you got to pay for that service you, as well, I, I, I you? can't honestly remember if we had to pay for it or not. Some friends of ours told us they'd done it, and I think it cost them 150 euros to get the parking mm, spaces. Wouldn't surprises, but that's that's what we did. It made sense, but the problem was we didn't do it to the place we were moving. And so when we we got here, we realised it was a very small street. And my wife had to have a very difficult conversation with police officers when they turned up because they will. They just turned up and gave, okay. gave my wife a, an earful. I think that's the problem as well is if, if you don't know, then you don't know. The only reason I even knew anything yeah. about it is because periodically you'd see these signs going up for our neighbours. As, as much as a lot of German cities are quite well designed and they've got quite big streets, there's other parts of the city that just don't. And so like a, mm-hmm. a van will block the street and you're sort of screwed, aren't you? We had a, in when we are moving back from the US, we had our Mm. delivery address and we had a temporary address where we were staying at a friend's empty apartment. And the day before the move, all ready to go, and suddenly the signs blocking the parking went up outside our temporary apartment. Oh, no. And we were like, it has to just be a coincidence. There's no way that they've made that mistake. 
And we walked over to our actual home and realized there was nothing there. We're like, oh my God, oh, they blocked no. off the wrong address. So I had to quickly phone them up and they got it sorted. But that, that really would have been an absolute nightmare. It's got to the point now where I don't even know how you do it in Britain anymore. Like, like a lot of places, a lot of parts of Newcastle are terraced housing, really long terraced streets on both sides of the street. Hmm. And there's not a lot of parking. And moving from one of those is a, a real pain in the ass. Sometimes they have a back lane and stuff, but... I guess you have to have your own set of traffic cones and you can just mark yeah. off a personal space. So um, one of the other things I was thinking about is when you move house in Britain, what you can do really easily is go to a supermarket and get boxes mm. and stuff like that. You don't have to pay for boxes, but my experience of moves here was, yeah, we borrowed some boxes off of people or were bought like specifically designed moving boxes. So like, what did you do? Did you... Because people don't go at the supermarket. No, so. we got very lucky because, I mean, we, we thought about our friendship group and we're like, okay, who's moved recently? <laughs> and uh, yeah, top of that list was uh, our friends uh, Derek and Gabby and we reached out to them. Do you guys happen to have any boxes and uh, how many do you need? We were like, yeah, 15 or 20. And then they turned mm. up with 40 and 40 was almost exactly how many we needed. So they, they knew our needs better than we knew them ourselves. Uh, so we were able to, to just borrow them. But yeah, if you have to buy them, like they're not cheap either the big ones yeah. the ones you would normally want are about five euros i think if you go to orby or one of the mm. major uh, garden or houseware stores so yeah it's it's an expensive investment but i think that's how people view it is an investment mm. you're going to move at some point in your life again realistically so having your own set of boxes mm. is definitely a huge boon as opposed to trying to like wrangle empty cartons from the supermarkets like you would in the UK. Yeah, that's it. It sort of feels super organised because it does feel a bit like moving house in the UK is a process of beg, borrow, mm. steal, you know. Do you know anyone who's got a van? Because you don't want to pay for a removal company most of the time. Where can I get some boxes? Oh, there's a supermarket. You can just go and ask in the supermarket. And I imagine if you go to a DIY shop, you could get boxes, but most people... Most people wouldn't. Yeah. They just wouldn't think of that. So when you see people pulling 40 boxes out of their basement or something, going, oh, yeah, I've got these. <laughs> this is, these are our moving boxes. It's kind of a shock to the system. You're like, wow, like super organized, really efficient. You know? When I was young, we in the village I grew up in, Cranley, there was a, a moving company called Mans of Cranley that I think is still going today. And they did a few moves mm. for us when I was a child. And they had these wooden crates that were like a meter tall by a meter by a meter. And they would just like ram all your stuff into these like wooden crates. Uh, I guess they probably don't do that anymore. Mm. But uh, that was quite an experience. There's a famous video of a Japanese moving company and they have like special mm. pouches and stuff and boxes for plates and they come at your house and just pack everything in your house up and take it away. It perpetuates that, that sort of aura that Japan has of super organization and super convenience almost. I guess you could hire a company to do that, but most of the time you just, in normal times, whatever normal is at this point, but before you had social distancing. Yeah, getting a group of people and a load of bodies together to move was not really such a, a big issue. But also you, you wouldn't expect to turn up at a move here and things not be packed. Oh, yeah, yeah. Things should definitely be in boxes ready to go and your job as the helper mm -hmm. is literally to pick up a box and, and move that. Mm -hmm. I have had a couple of people expect me to do some packing for them and that is... Uh, a massive red flag on that person's character. <laughs> yeah, I think that's kind of taking the piss, really. It should be basically fairly well organised. The best moves, like, and I've seen this with German friends who've moved house, is most of the time everything's ready to go. It's the yeah. likes of sort of the Brits and the Americans who are half arsing it, just going like, oh, yeah, I woke up, I got a bit of a hangover. <laughs> you're like this is this is not a good start to the day no. this is going to be a long day but a good move like here could be over by midday like start at eight yeah. and just 
knock it out and it's done if everything's if everything's ready to go one of the biggest challenges as, as the helper is timing when to leave like when is it appropriate <laughs> to duck out and you definitely see this if there's like two trips to the new place like after the first one 20 percent will disappear and then like then you start feeling guilty because oh, i need to stick around people are leaving and yeah like my guilt gland is very large and i've definitely been one of the last to leave on a few occasions where i should have just ducked off at 10 o'clock yeah i think it's the people who who rock up for like a, a half an hour and they go oh yeah i'll come and help and then they yeah. can tell they just don't they're not having a good time like this is shit oh i've got to go now i've got another thing i've got to do yeah, yeah. You, you've managed it you, you're in it's yeah. all sorted so that's that's good news so yeah so you said you got a van but like i'm guessing it's it was a rental or was that a beg borrow and steal deal as well so the second one was sort it was a, a beg borrow steal mm. Uh, but the first one we rented from a company just going to say Carl and Carla does not sponsor this show but I'm more than happy to give the company and their team a shout out Uh, a very cost effective alternative to the normal rental companies with really stellar customer service they're even super cool and use the do form with their customers uh, regardless of age or status and i am all over that (laughs) what was so good about it i mean compared to the other companies they were a lot cheaper than most and like all their vehicles are like satellite remote unlocked uh so you turn up at the car park you call them up and be like i'm standing next to the vehicle and then boop, boop, uh, it unlocks and they ask you to do the checks uh yourself with your phone and then you're on your way so it's like no contact with with anyone no agents yeah. so in times of corona it was really an easy way of doing uh-huh. it I, I always like minimum human interaction when i'm going to go through something really stressful like the last thing you yeah. want to do is like have to fill in a load of forms and like speak to someone for a, for an hour before you get the, the the vehicle that you want. I don't know if the audience is going to think this is some kind of hidden uh, hidden advertisement. <laughs> We've got a sponsorship I wish, deal. I wish we were getting paid for this. <laughs> so once you've managed to find a van and you've filled it with all your stuff and you've done several trips to and from your old home to your new home and you've completed the move there are still things to be done painting the flat is one of them when you move out of a flat in germany painting is a big issue the flat will normally have to be handed back painted fully white the walls and ceiling that is if you paint the floors white you're sure to have your deposit returned with a hefty chunk removed so i quickly came home yesterday to prepare the notes for this episode having painted the kitchen and the corridor of the old digs Again, shout out to Del Boy for helping me out with the painting. You're a star, mate. Painting an apartment feels like a totally rational request from the property owner, especially if you've gone crazy and enjoyed an accent wall or some geometric accent shapes. Looking at you here, Nick, who's planning on doing magenta pink as an accent wall in the new home. That's going to be a <laughs> nightmare to paint over. Still, though, it's a total ball ache and something I'm delighted to say I'm done with until we move again. Oh, God, I'm going to have to move again at some point. Don't move. Stay where you are. <laughs> Just live there forever. Yeah, the painting bit's like, I sort of get it, but it's not, it's not something that's part of rental contracts in Britain, is it really? You're painting the flat. No. I don't remember having to do that in Britain particularly. No, normally rental properties I use in the UK, that's part of the obligations of, of the owner. Mm. Uh, and so it was done in between tenants if necessary but yeah here it is it's something that everyone has to do if it's part of the contract i mean there has i'm just going to let people know if if you are renting a property in germany there has been a change in federal regulations uh, relatively recently it used to be that you had to paint your apartment when you left no matter what but now there Mm. is new regulation it's every five years 
that the property has to be painted. And so unless you put colour or, or make stains on the wall, you can get away if you haven't lived there for more than five years, which is a very good thing to know. But some property owners will try and put it into your contract. Ours mm. did. Our contract was full of weird shit that you kind of just are forced into signing. Uh, there's a lot of examples of those kinds of craziness, especially in Berlin. The good news is if you do end up in a conflict with the property owner or the property manager, then you can revert to the federal law and normally go into the renter's advice bureau. Or if you have a lawyer friend mm. and you can get them to draft a letter, those issues will be dropped very, very quickly and you, and you won't have to pay for it. So mm. if you are threatened with action on those kinds of activities, it is definitely worth spending some time on the phone with the rental agency. There has been so many crazy things in, in rental contracts that I've seen. I know I've heard horror stories in, from Berlin. Well, obviously, there's the, the argument about rental hikes and, and capped renting prices and stuff like that. But it's, I mean, here, most of the time, it's pretty standard, the stuff that you're going to find, I would have said. Someone posted on Twitter that someone had to sign that they would only wear house shoes. Oh house. yeah, I remember that. That was the thing I was trying to remember. Yeah, the yeah, they wouldn't be barefoot and they wouldn't wear outside shoes in their own apartment. That, that would never stand up legally, surely. That's a, a request that's impossible I, I to maintain. I don't know how you can possibly police it to prove mm. that someone has been doing that. Would involve uh, espionage, I guess. So yeah, I, I think you would be safe from it. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, if if this person has vintage flaws and they're trying to protect them, you can sort of understand the instinct. But it is the most ridiculous thing to have in a contract. We weren't allowed to feed birds mm -hmm. in our contract. There was a clause about feeding the birds. Well, I guess if you've got like a shared outdoor space or like you're living in the inner city, then yeah, that makes sense. And who's like feeding birds anyway, really? On I suppose if you're like bang into your nature and you've got a load of bird feeders, that's going to be a problem. But like <laughs> bang into your yeah, nature. like you know. <laughs> but um, most people don't. You know, most people decorate their balconies in the inner city, certainly where we've lived but no one's knocking out a, a bird table or a bird feeder or something because you're just going to end up with a massive pigeon issue which is not something you really want i don't think no but, uh the demands that we've come to expect are just the, the basics so that you would you would paint the flat which is it's, it's just a pain in the ass but again so if it solves a problem right at least you know the next person's gonna it's kind of it's not community spirit because mm -hmm. you're leaving the community but you're sort of leaving a, a blank slate for someone coming back in. But there's always there's always limits because it, it depends. I don't think they really yeah. check them because we moved into a flat where the guy had painted, but he'd, he'd done the most annoying thing you could imagine someone doing, which is they painted the wall, but they hadn't done all the way to the top. And so you ended up with, mm -hmm. like, oh, right, we're going to have to repaint it, but then you've got a different layers of paint or you've got a different white, or they haven't put a base coat yeah. on a, a wall that's been coloured. I'm sure they had, like, a green wall or something that we had to paint over several times in order to get rid of the colour. Or they had kids and there was crayon marks on the on the walls, but they hadn't painted over them. So there's loads of those little things that, that you're, you're kind of relying on someone to do and, and sort out. It's like punishment mm. for renters, isn't it? It is. You lived here, paint the damn house. And it also <laughs> made me conscious about not wanting a massive apartment again because uh, our last place mm. was huge. It was, it was really, really massively oversized apartment for two people. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, painting it was an absolute pain in the ass. If we'd lived in some like little bed sit, I'd have been done in a day. It's mm. taken me four days to paint that house. I don't, I don't <laughs> want to think about it. It's exactly the thing that I'm facing. We're having a discussions now about how do we paint this place? Do we get someone to paint it? Because it's quite an old house. Yeah. So there's lots of just, mm. there's lots of edges. I just live in a house <laughs> of edges. And every everywhere I look, I'm like, oh God, there's a corner there. How am I going to do that? 
the ceiling's made made of wood or has like a wood finish and the walls are white and I'm just like, oh, it's a nightmare of masking tape. I'm just going to be spending all you the time. You mentioned masking tape. I've spent 30 euros on masking tape. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that seems excessive. Tape. Seems excessive. Oh, but Tears yeah. are making money hand over fist. You get to a point where, <laughs> especially with white, it's really easy to miss bits because of the way the light is. And, and if your house is a bit dark, you know, you haven't got a lot of natural light. It's easy just to miss bits out. Mm. There's nothing more depressing than thinking you've finished a, a room and then go in an hour later and the lights change and you're like, oh, it's like a big bit you've missed. Or I, I've got pretty good eyesight, generally speaking. I can see pretty well, but my wife has like proper eagle-eyed uh, and she passed a test at work a few years ago for being able to distinguish colors from each other um where you have to like grade seven mm. shades of blue um and like she passed the test <laughs> with like 100 percent. like her her vision is amazing on this but it's been a real hindrance <laughs> for the two of us to get through this i'm like it's fine i can't see anything she's like how can you not see that this is different <laughs> <laughs> you've missed a bit you've missed a bit like that's yeah no one wants to hear that you've missed that you've missed that especially it's a big wall and you're like oh god thank god it's over but yeah I mean I, I try my best not to be sensitive but it's like are you criticising my painting <laughs> <laughs> I've slaved over this yeah. it's exactly like you take ownership of it this is a work of totally. goddamn art yeah uh, but yeah me and worked so hard <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think we've actually got to paint the place we're leaving and, and the place we're moving into so that's going to be like, Ooh. it's going to be a mission and we don't have a lot of time to do it. So I do foresee hopefully a very streamlined process. I mean, the the, the rule is my wife organises and I do the heavy lifting. So if I just, if I just shut up, right, oh, this is my process. I'm going to shut up and listen and just do what I'm told. And then hopefully this is all going to go <laughs> over smoothly. And that sounds, that's not misogynist. Like it's because I'm an idiot and I'll fucking say something stupid. It's not that, it's just because I'm a moron. And like, I'll inevitably say something like, and it'll just cause chaos. So if I just keep my head down, paint what I'm told, I'll be fine. I think I'll be fine. I hope I'll be fine. I hope I'll be at the podcast in a month's time. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be good. Otherwise, it'd be a, a solo show. <laughs> me just talking to myself. Well, as, as long as you have a good in memoriam episode for me, it'll be fine. And do you have approval for the magenta pink now? Oh, yeah, totally. Like, I'm really excited about it. I keep telling people about it, and they look at me like I'm insane. But I've got, like, a plan. I love the idea of it. It's a funny thing to realise in your 30s that your favourite colours, like, fluorescent pink. But, yeah, yeah I don't know it's, why it's... I, I got no qualms with it being your favourite colour whatsoever, but I, I, I think it's going to be... Uh visually difficult for me to process i promise you right with the first time i podcast from that room and you see the background you'd be like yeah it makes sense i get you i understand why you did it because it will look epic it will just look really good i promise i'll, I'll be posting photos on, on on twitter as soon as it's done i promise it's gonna be meant Now, what is different enough from what we would deem to be the norm and grounds for a segment on Decades From Home is the utter madness of the kitchen situation here in Germany. It's a baffling mess filled with financial obligations and negotiations. It is very, very normal here in Germany to rent your flat or house, naturally, just like any other modern developed nation. In fact, renting is very popular. Germany has the second lowest share of homeowners of all OECD countries. 
Flexibility is a good thing, and it's not always easy to get onto the property ladder, especially given the taxes faced by those buying and selling homes in Germany. What is different from most other modern developed nations is that not an insignificant number of renters own their own kitchens. To be clear, I don't mean just an oven, a microwave, or their own fridge. Many people, myself included, and Simon, own a full bloody kitchen, but we don't have a home to put it in. This is not something we are aware of happening anywhere else. It's pretty bizarre. I mean, picture the scene. You peruse the local ads for a new home. You find a place that's in the perfect part of the city, is affordable and looks good. You turn up for a viewing and it's even better than you imagined. You meet the tenants who are moving out and they rave about how amazing the neighbourhood is and how great the amenities are. They reassure you that the only reason they're moving is to be closer to family or for the good of their kids. It's a dream. The thing I find really strange about viewing flats in Germany is you generally view flats on a series of days with like 45 other people mm -hmm. or like if you're in Berlin, like 20,000 other people. <laughs> and uh, I always find that really weird because it's like, this is a weird experience where you've got other people looking at a place that you could potentially live at the same time as you. And it just feels a little bit competitive. The, the thing that gets us is the idea that the person renting mm -hmm. the flat chooses the renter it isn't just oh like the first person who can pay gets it you know the first person who clears all the checks gets it here it can become down to yeah. oh well we've got three people but this person has a, a family and we want a family to live there yeah there's like proper social situation is taken yeah. into account in a lot of instances but yeah you're absolutely right it does feel very mm. competitive and you're very very aware that other people want this place as well and um, that's definitely been one of the nice experiences of, of looking at places in Corona times because we've had viewings like immediately after and people have come uh, immediately before as well. So you, you're still aware that, that there is interest, but you get to look at the place on your own. But yeah, it's, it can be really weird seeing the same people <laughs> at these different apartments you go to on the same viewings. A friend of ours has just moved back to Nuremberg and uh, she's now viewed 18 apartments uh, in the last couple of weeks and has put together an Excel sheet, <laughs> which is the most German thing I've ever seen. But yeah, when you've looked at 18 apartments, I guess an Excel sheet makes a lot of sense. Like you really know what you're looking for when you've got an Excel sheet. You know, like you've definitely got some very high specifications. I mean, I think there's just a lot of people trying to make money on these pretty bad apartments mm -hmm. as well. Uh, the cost of living and renting in, in Nuremberg, where I live, has, has changed a lot in the, in the 10 years that I've been here. Um, so yeah, you have a lot of people that you can get a deal. You can get a really nice apartment for let's say less than 800 a month, but you got a lot of really mm -hmm. shitty apartments being put for the same price because they have the same square meterage, uh, or they're reasonably mm -hmm. close to an U-Bahn station. And so, yeah, it can be very difficult to, to get a good deal as well. And you don't want to rob yourself, uh, like paying an extra 200 a month on an apartment just because it kind of fits your parameters. It can be worth taking the time, but yeah, time is is a luxury when you're looking for a new home. Sometimes you just have to take what's available. I found that, to, in a general sense, that most, of the, especially in Nuremberg, most of the places are pretty pretty good standard. There's obviously more desirable parts of the city, and that's where you have the problem. Is if you've got a more desirable area but a tiny apartment, and you're still being charged excessive amounts, like over a thousand euros for 
30 square metres of apartment doesn't seem particularly fair, but it does happen. I mean, you hear stories and you, you, you talk to people and they'll tell you that, oh, I've got this nice apartment and you get there and it's a, it's a, a cupboard, you know? It's like something out of a mm. sci-fi movie where everyone just lives in a tiny bubble room, you know? <laughs> and just like, like there isn't enough room to spring a cat. Yeah, 30 square metres, That's that was my first apartment when I first mm-hmm. moved to. It had not much in it <laughs> and it was always got a kitchen well what it means it's got a hot plate you know it's it's not yeah it doesn't have an oven yeah. or something like that it doesn't have all the amenities you see that a lot really people just chance the realm it's the same for markets all around the world i mean if you look at britain there's mm-hmm. periodically there's always a story about someone a landlord in london trying to rent a single room and it's got like a toilet a kitchen mm. and a bed in one room and you're like bloody yeah. hell and it's 20,000 20, pounds a month or something. One of the interesting side effects in the UK is that in houses where the rooms have been split for like VG for Vongemeinschaften, living rooms apparently are disappearing in a lot of these properties because they're being turned into another bedroom. So mm. lots of properties now in the UK don't have a communal space apart from the kitchen. Uh, everything else is a bedroom and that's really miserable. I've only, I've only lived with people I didn't really choose to live with once. Um, most of the time it's been people I wanted to live with and so having a communal space was good but speaking speaking to people who've moved into apartments with people that didn't know mm. like communal spaces can be a just a source of contention can't they like shared kitchens you're dealing with different people's levels of hygiene Ugh, it's really some, not yeah. something I miss to be honest so yeah you, you've managed to complete the viewing and you are chosen as the lucky ones beating off this massive gaggle of other bidders for the property. Happy days. Then you have to negotiate with the previous tenants to buy their kitchen off them. <laughs> Naturally, they would rather sell it than to move it to their new home, so they want you to buy it off them. Yeah, buying kitchens is a wild one. Really is, like a crazy, crazy mm-hmm. thing. And it can be a deciding factor for people if you've got like one of these mass viewings, yeah. which are the people who are willing to buy the kitchen. And then it's a question of how much they're going to pay. And sometimes that can be a real a real issue is like people will buy the kitchen, but they're not going to pay the price that you expect. Naturally, kitchens aren't cheap. I guess 2000 2K would be the cheapest possible new kitchen to buy here. I think we paid about 3000 for ours, all told, including installation costs. So a lot of people are trying their best to hit that balance of not losing too much money on their forced investments whilst offering a good enough price that the next tenants will be up for buying it. Everyone wants to retain value, but like the sort of rule is once you bought a kitchen, you put it in, like you lose half its price, right? Yeah. And like the no- negotiation process is a tough one. And like it's a lot of money, so, and it's a lot of work to remove a kitchen. So you're kind of in a weird position where if you don't have somewhere to store it, you're kind of beholden to what the person's going to offer. Even if you sell it and something breaks down, say you've got a dishwasher and cooker as part of the kitchen, and that breaks down. I think they're legally allowed to ask for their money back for like six months afterwards. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's the rule. Oh, God. Yeah, so watch out. So, I mean, yeah, it's just it's a huge amount of obligation uh, and risk. And also, we're ignoring the fact that the next tenants might have their own kitchen <laughs> yeah, exactly. at their old home that they're trying to sell to the next tenants at their property. It's like a hugely expensive game of musical chairs where the object at stake costs more than a month's salary. It's totally insane. What can also happen is that you go to a flat viewing and walk into a totally empty room, which you're then told is the kitchen. Though the only sign that this is in fact the case is that there are tiles on the wall and disconnected water and gas pipes. What? Bitter? 
insane. We know from Twitter and a lot of experience that this is a truly shocking reality for immigrants in Germany. This idea like you, you walk into rooms, even to the point where you walk into rooms and they don't have any light fittings. There are no light fittings in my old apartment. All the light fittings are gone. The kitchen's gone. It's just one of those things that is, it's just different. It's different. You, like once you understand it, it's fine. Like once you come to expect it, but you, you're sort of moving with one fifth of an apartment. I've got a kitchen and all my light fittings and all my light switches and everything. Yeah. I mean, I never imagined that I would have like a load of light fittings that I don't need. Like in our new house, there are light fittings. So I've got yeah. like seven hanging lamps that I, I've got no use for. You're never going to use. It's, it's no. just ridiculous. Uh, but yeah, this is the, the nature of things. And so, I mean, it happened with our place. Our, our totally ineffective property manager only managed to arrange two viewings for the old flat. We had hoped to be able to strike a deal with the next tenants to sell our kitchen, but that was not possible with no new tenants. We approached her also to ask if maybe the owners would like to buy it from us for a good price so they could then advertise the flat as coming with a fitted kitchen. This would be a veritable boon for any new potential tenants for sure. We heard nothing back on that one. So I was left with the unenviable task of completely dissembling an entire fucking kitchen so that we could put it in our cellar. It will at some point be part of an entire like post-COVID party cellar, like some 70s Michigan football fan. Um, but it's not how I'd hoped to spend the final part of the move. I just wanted to paint and clean. Instead, I spent hours watching YouTube tutorials on how to remove a sink and tap and how to remove IKEA method kitchen drawers, which is different in different countries, by the way. Uh, in the UK, what? like all the videos I found were from the UK and they had just like this clip that you just pushed and it popped off. And I was like, there's no fucking clip. And uh, so I like, scoured it. I found a Dutch video that had the right instructions. Uh, so Ikea, <laughs> you bastards, uh, unify your method drawers, please. Or at least let us find out that they're different. Um, it's the anger the anger in your eyes so like the audience can't see it how like you've you look like you've you've really had a traumatic experience like i i don't do this stuff like my father wasn't around and wasn't particularly technical anyway but like, i wasn't raised to like do diy uh, kind of stuff like I, I can watch a youtube tutorial and i think i've got some common sense uh so i was i, I knew i was going to be able to do it but i didn't think it was going to take me like six hours to completely disassemble a kitchen the the only real positive i got is i got to use the hell out of my shiny new power drill i am getting old <laughs> i think having loads of tools is a sign of definite maturity but not necessarily that we're getting old just that we're more organized we've got the kit that we need but yeah the idea of having to store a kitchen in your cellar, you then got to hope that in five years, ten years, however long it, you live in that property you're in now, that the next place you move to doesn't have a kitchen, or else then you, yep. what do you do? Like you've had this kitchen for a few years, like what do you do? Like what's the process? I don't really understand what you're meant to do. It's re it's a really miserable proposition, and also because we we got our kitchen through IKEA and we were trying to do it on a budget because we just moved back from America. Like it's not a good oven. The hob isn't particularly fantastic either and where i live now i've got like a miele oven a miele saranfeld mm. i'm living the absolute high life here yeah yeah i'm gonna eventually have to go back to that kitchen and be like this is shit i don't like this <laughs> oven anymore you're like relegated back to the kitchen that three you options <laughs> yeah i think sometimes you gotta wonder if it's just worth just getting rid of it i mean disassembling the kitchen's no it's no fun. Like it's it's a real tricky process. Uh, there's lots of fiddly bits, and especially if it's IKEA, because there's always a mechanism, or it takes a while to get used to. But after this amount of time, 
and obviously you've been through more trauma than you probably deserved for, for having a kitchen but I, like it's kind of when my wife said oh we've got to paint or if I saw something about to take out the kitchen I'd just be like oh well I guess that's just the way it is but I, I remember being yeah. like violently angry about the concept when I first moved here like for the Germans this is a totally normal thing and it, mm. it's, it's how it's done so it isn't weird like it's an inconvenience for anyone sure but I think when you come from another country and you turn up and be like excuse me like all i get is the pipe out of the wall and that's like my, yeah. my water source i have to take care of everything else um, exactly it's really an expensive proposition right if you're coming from another country and having to set up it it takes a lot of money and a lot of time mm. as well i mean we went to ikea because we thought they'd be the quickest uh, and they yeah. were very quick we were in and out in two weeks which was an absolute miracle um but yeah if you go through one of the more sort of prestigious kitchen companies you could be waiting like you're going to wait at least three weeks before anything happens mm. and it could be months before you have your kitchen installed uh, and you're spending thousands of euros on the privilege it's the very definition of a first world problem <laughs> there is a there is a decent reason there is a good reason why mm -hmm. kitchens aren't coming as standard with every apartment let's say there is a reason I'm not sure oh, right, okay. it, <laughs> <laughs> it turns out that kitchens not coming as standard in german apartments is an unintentional consequence of a rather pro-tenant law landlords are reluctant to provide any more than they absolutely have to because of the cost and liabilities of upkeep. It's all about those additional costs, baby. Germans are also much more likely to live long-term as tenants than in the UK or the US, as we've seen. Some two-thirds of Germans rent their residence, many for decades, so they are happier putting in a kitchen that suits them rather than just taking whatever the landlord decides to provide. German law doesn't allow landlords to put an end date on contracts for unfurnished apartments. It's also difficult to increase the rent once someone has signed a contract. This means there are people who are paying insanely low rent for their apartment they started renting in the 90s, while the person in the apartment across from them might be paying six times more because they moved in recently. Rest in peace, meter decal rent cap in Berlin. So many landlords just rent out apartments as bare as possible. You're usually free to build walls, renovate, do all sorts of things, because you can practically have it forever. Yeah, until they decide to gentrify where you live and then they, uh, they throw you out and hike up all the rents. Renting in Germany isn't as easy as it looks. No, it's, it's not. It really is. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of hidden costs uh, compared to the UK. There's a lot of hidden stress compared to the UK. America was the easiest place I've ever lived to rent. It was super, super simple. Uh, but yeah, things are complex. There's a lot of legal liability that you open yourself up to you can find out you're being robbed compared to your neighbour. And that's, that's always a real sting in the tail. Legal issues, complexity. This is definitely a podcast about Germany, right? Servus! <laughs> so to wrap up this particular theme, let's have a look at a Deutsche Welle com piece 10 things you need to know about german apartment uh, and from the article it says berlin's endless row of tenements were once horribly overcrowded with large families often living in one or two room flats but in recent years these so-called altbau or old buildings have enjoyed a rapid renaissance now everyone wants to rent an altbau i can't, I can't speak for berlin obviously in augsburg they've they've got a lot of altbau and they've got a lot of old barrack buildings that were used by the german army and the american army and they're now being renovated, but they're not renovated for like social housing or no. like the unaffordable housing. They look, I mean, get, don't get me wrong, they're beautiful looking buildings. 
anyone walking around a German city would recognise quite quickly that the mm. older buildings are beautiful and the newer buildings are monstrosities. Most people don't hire architects, so you just end up with this facade with a random amount of windows on one side and it just looks horrendous. Some of them have balconies, some of them don't. Some have balconies that look just been bolted onto the side <laughs> and that someone's praying that they don't fall down. I mean, a lot of people build here. It's much more common to build a house. So you buy the piece of land and you build on it. To my amazement, there are people that do this without an architect. Um, that really is quite mind-blowing. costs so much more to have an architect, apparently. I mean, I like the idea of these prefabricated houses that turn up on the back of a lorry and it's mm. put up four walls uh, and it's done. That's very appealing to me. The, the villages around around here, there's a lot of new builds. Most people are moving out of the city and the villages, if they're going to build a house, and most people aren't building in cities. But what you see is a, just a random collection of different mm. versions of houses because they do exactly what you said. Some of them will get a prefab house, basically. And you go to these theme parks for yeah. people who want to buy houses and they've just got like hundreds of different houses you can view and then you've got like all the different things you can customize like the floor or how, where the walls are you can do loads of different stuff and then they get the the house sort of delivered and it's built but what you end up with is villages that look like just got you've got a house that looks like something out of tuscany sitting next to a house that looks like <laughs> a frank lloyd wright student had sort of turned up and say i'm going to build a house exactly to this specifications but i'm not going to use the quality quality of uh, materials so you just end up with like random random sort of places but it's not the only kind of house you're going to get what's uh, what's next on the list Plattenbau so this is from former East Germany where nearly all accommodation was rented from the government prefab concrete house blocks known as Plattenbau rose up across the communist nation not only were they cheap but they also preferred to Altbau apartments because they offered all modern conveniences like new plumbing that didn't leak reliable electricity and hot water yeah the Plattenbau are a bit like the blocks that you'd see in glasgow or something like this sort of yeah very brutalist i've seen them a lot in newcastle we had we had more tower blocks we didn't have so much of these sort of tenement five six floor blocks but it's something you see around london Mm. they're knocking a lot of them down now these these concrete housing yeah. estates but um when i've when i've spoken to people who grew up in east germany and we talk about the where they're from and they'll show me a photo of where they used to live or the area they grew up in a lot of it is yeah these sort of concrete uh, housing estate blocks there's quite a few twitter accounts that post Kladenbau imagery and it is kind of stunning in its own way but it's not somewhere i'd want to live mm. uh, but to admire from a distance via twitter I'm all over that. That's great. <laughs> I, I, grew, I grew up in a housing estate, mm. teenage years, that was very uniform, like uniform concrete built buildings. And it's very oppressive. Like, it can be totally oppressive, especially if it's like a, a grey day and all the buildings around you are kind of grey. <laughs> Just like you feel, you really feel like this is this is the end of the world, you know? This is the, the worst place to live. Especially with that like pebble dash mm-hmm. finish that was so common in the UK. It's it's really just a good protection against the weather and not yeah, much it's else. Yeah, totally brutal. Like, I guess with the East German Plattenbau, you've got there was like a uniformity to it. Whereas mm. in, in a lot of places in the UK, there was a period where we're like, we're going to build the new residential utopia, and it's got full of great ideas that seem to make sense in the in the sixties mm. or the seventies, but don't really make much sense now. Like the place I used to live just had loads and loads of stairs everywhere, and it was on a hill. It's funny, right? In Scotland, it gets quite cold, gets quite icy, snows. So when it was snowy and icy, you basically just had a slalom. So there's just old people skidding along the the, the streets and downstairs and stuff. It's horrendous, like really bad. So I mean, I guess in that some extent, to some extent, the Plattenbau didn't have those uh, limitations. But number three on the list is balconies. Uh, most renters live in apartments. 
and make the most of their balconies. Some barbecue or lounge, while others grow overflowing gardens that utilise every last inch of precious outdoor space. Balconies can be a veritable ecosystem that become rather bleak in the winter months. If somebody said to us in the UK, oh, I was on the balcony or sitting on the balcony yeah. yesterday, I'd be like, oh, you're quite fancy, aren't you? And then you move here and a lot of places mm. just have a balcony as standard. Whether whether it's because it's a cost thing or it's a luxury thing, I don't know. But in Britain, I think it's very much, it might be a weather thing. Like people don't... Yeah, I think weather plays yeah, a part. <laughs> don't feel like they need to sit outside. But even in the um, the less desirable parts of the city, you'll see houses and housing blocks or housing estates with yeah. balconies on them. It might be a balcony big enough for a chair and nothing else but it is it's, it's mm. a real deal breaker for a lot of people i've had a lot of german friends but like, i looked at this apartment it had this this and this it was amazing but it didn't have mm. a balcony so i don't think i'm gonna have it this little bit of outdoor space i mean we've spoken about air and how yeah. germans feel about air so i think having that ability to walk outside and, mm. and get some fresh air is a real vital element of, of having mm. a balanced home life a lot of new builds all come with balconies as standard so i think it's it is that thing if if you want someone to rent mm. your place you better have a balcony or you're gonna have a hard time i mean occasionally they're a little bit superfluous like, but if it's not balconies it's number four courtyards uh, in some German cities, particularly Berlin, rental houses are made up of front and back buildings separated by an inner courtyard through which the life of these rental communities ebb and flow. They're unique communal spaces across which people view each other's lives and they interact as they park their bicycles or access their numerous garbage bins. Yeah, I've never lived in somewhere that had a courtyard. Like You've kind of got one in your old place. Yeah, we had uh, an Innenhof, but instead of having an, an, another building on the back we had a single property that had been built by crane mm. in a pretty precarious manner but it did mean that we just had this overly intimate awareness of what that house mm -hmm. was doing because every time we looked out the back of our house we saw them but i think it's different when you have like a, a proper fixed courtyard i kind of think of like judge dread and those kinds of buildings which isn't really mega city one what, exactly um i guess berlin's the closest thing to mega city one in germany but yeah i mean it's it's, it's quite nice when you have yeah. a good courtyard when you've got some trees and some 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 animal life and some birds tweeting but at the same time it you do feel aware that there's sort of a lack of privacy sometimes mm -hmm. we had a neighbor across the street from us who had a pillow that he used to like rest his arms as he stared out the window across the street to our property that's a step too far i think if you've invested in a, a resting pillow so you can survey the street uh, you probably need to get a bigger TV or something. Yeah, I mean, it can be a source of entertainment for sure. Like the place, we lived in a place where there was, there wasn't a courtyard, but there was lots of balconies that backed onto other houses. And so you could sit on your balcony, but we then had like a social situation because do, do you wave mm -hmm. at your neighbours? When I was still smoking, so I'd go out for a cigarette in the morning and there'd be another guy smoking. I'm like, do I say hello? Do I have to say hello? I don't really want to. I just want to sort of stare at my phone and zombie <laughs> out, but... Yeah, you would have that certainly. Exactly like you said, it's this ecosystem. And it can be really noisy as well, depending yeah. on your neighbours. It's not so long ago, it was only a year ago that we're watching all those videos of people playing music on their on their balconies for the entertainment <laughs> of other people in lockdown. And it's like, well, that's, that's great, but then like fast forward a year and it's someone playing ACDC, it's mm. not exactly going to make you feel particularly good or like, let's let's all listen to this terrible, bouncy, hardcore song. Or uh, number five we have is Names Instead of Numbers. Uh, so only the names of residents are used to identify the flats inside a building in Germany. Typically have no corresponding flat number. That means you have to address letters to Germany clearly because the mail carrier only has the name to go by. But the names usually correspond with what floor they're on. 
So the yeah. bottom names are like, and you can go from right to left. So 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 and so is on the left of the the buzzer. So they're on the left side of the building. So it generally corresponds to exactly where they are. The thing that gets us is not so much the the names. Is we lived in a, a place where we lived on one street where we were sixteen A. Right, and 16B was like halfway down the other side of the street, and like they'd get our mail, and it's just like, oh god, this is 16A and 16B, and it's a house here I walk past all the time. That's like it's something like 16 and a half, and you're like, what? <laughs> like, how is that 16 and a half? How does that even make sense? So you're getting like fractions like Harry of, Potter. yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> at first I thought, oh, that's the case, but no, it's like I've seen I've seen it in other places too, where you've got like fractions of a of a house, and it's just like God. I mean, for me, it's, it's, it's such a weird thing where Germany's so focused on data protection and privacy, but then you can walk up to any flat and know the name, the, the surname of people living there. And it means that, yeah, your neighbours literally know your name, um, which can be mm -hmm. unnerving, like being suddenly say, hey, Mr. Maddox, it's like, I don't know who the fuck you are. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's also resulted in post not coming to me from my UK family because it's taken a while for them to learn this as well, where they've just put like the number of my house uh, of my old apartment and not the name yeah they think okay that's going to get to simon but it doesn't uh, all my family send us stuff and it kind of luckily gets here because there's only two people and uh, there's only two names on the door so we, we're okay but still i guess when they see germany written in english instead of deutsch they're like ah the englanders <laughs> yeah which is the most english sounding name on this door yeah okay number six we have is flat sharing uh, known as vg or wohngemeinschaften Shared apartments are popular in big cities where apartment prices are rising and availability is shrinking. This is especially so in Berlin, a city full of artists, students and people on low budgets. Bloody bohemians. Um, have you ever <laughs> stayed in a, a VG? No. Not, not in Germany. In the UK I did. It yeah. scared the shit out of me at the, the, the prospect at the start of like moving into an apartment and having to like use German proactively. Like that was really quite scary at first. There was a point where I did have to stay in, um, in one of these places and there's a mix. You've got ones that are exactly like you'd expect in Britain where it's just a house with loads of people living in it. And there's okay. other ones that are like businesses. You've got a shared kitchen, but you've got, um, it's like staying mm -hmm. in a hotel, except at like a really <laughs> shitty, shitty hotel. <laughs> Uh, and so, like, yeah, I've stayed in a few of those that were just—it was pretty horrendous. Uh, and that—that's th where you see, you see, you once you drop below a certain line of acceptability with housing, that's when you start to see the real cracks in the. In, in, and it's something that I think a lot of Germans don't really see that much. But it was predominantly um, people passing through because sometimes they rented out the rooms just for nights, mm. which made like the whole experience totally unsafe. Because then you you don't even know who's staying there week by week mm. I, my experience wasn't wasn't particularly positive of, of staying in one uh, no. i wouldn't do it again if i could avoid it number seven one we've already spoken about is paint when you leave so painting the apartment before you leave is another german rental tradition <laughs> i like how they call it a tradition like it's yeah. uh like lederhosen and oktoberfest you're part of the culture yeah. <laughs> <laughs> number eight i am also over bring your own kitchen <laughs> Uh, so in some German cities, kitchens and appliances are not included in rental properties. That means the tenant has to purchase their own and have it installed at their expense. Alternatively, some people buy the previous tenant's kitchen at a discount if they aren't planning on taking it with them to the next living space. I'm done. Let's move L on. Luckily, luckily, Simon's not bitter, you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. Small bathrooms in old rental buildings. Among the quirks of Altbau apartments is that many didn't used to include facilities, which were sometimes shared communally. 
That means that you'd find bathrooms today that are all wedged into the smallest and oddest spaces. Or in some cases, they might be huge and replace an entire former room. So you'll rent a, a, a place and it'll have a bathroom that's got like a shower or a bath or both and a toilet. And then you'll have another toilet. So you have like two toilets in a 100 square metre apartment, which seems a bit excessive. Mm, I remember your, your old apartments in, in Furt. Like, it was like a tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> you'd walk into this long mm. corridor with a toilet at the end of it it was a very surreal experience and not a particularly pleasant vibe for for a toilet you kind of felt like you were like being watched over by some like chucked in a cupboard communist body well the worst bit was it was right next to the estimate so like you, no one wanted to use that toilet because you'd go in and everyone like if there was a lull in conversation you just hear someone pissing and you're like no that's no no one wants that it's not an experience anyone wants while they're having dinner number 10 and the final one on this list from Deutsche Welle is not all rooms are bedrooms. Uh, so when scanning apartment listings in Germany, you'll generally find the sizes given in square meters, quadratmeter, and the number of rooms. The latter includes not just bedrooms, but mm. also living space. The kitchen and bathrooms are listed separately. So apartments are most expensive in Munich, Frankfurt and Stuttgart. There's, there's the, the number of rooms, there's the cold and, and warm option mm -hmm. where you might have an inclusive price for, for heating water as well. So that's something that I'd not experienced before, this idea. People will often go like, so you just tell someone how much you're renting for, and you'd be like, oh, I'd say 150 a month, and they'll go cold or warm. It's always like a question you might get, mm. some, someone will give you, but yeah. Hello, Freunde. That brings us to the end of the show. A little abruptly, perhaps, but we had to cut the last segment as it made both me and Simon rather depressed. You don't come here for that. You're here for all the fun stuff we talk about, like painting houses and long-term back pain. Anyway, thanks for listening, and thanks to those of you like Paula and 26 Sousa, who retweeted the show last week. Much appreciated. If you'd like a shout-out and our eternal gratitude, retweet the show or tag us with hashtag DecadesFromHome, all lowercase. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Simon on at Decades From Home. You can tweet me at 40% German. You can also get us on 40% German at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40% German.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks and bis zum nächsten Mal. Are you moving house? Do you need to repaint or remove a kitchen? Well, you've come to the right place. Here at Simon Maddox Painting and Kitchen Removal, we'll solve all your decorating disassembly needs in an easy to use process. Don't believe us? Here, listen to these testimonies. I wasn't sure what to expect when I hired Simon, but once he declared, my unpainted walls a bunch of fuck trumpets, I knew I was in good hands. My kitchen was a mess. But a quick call to Simon, and he was there in a flash to call the old kitchen cabinets a bunch of bellends, while describing the countertops as as useful as a sock full of shits. I called Simon to fix a terrible paint job in the bathroom. After he screamed the C word for 20 minutes and then drank 10 cups of tea, the bathroom looked like I'd had a team of decorators in. Don't take their word for it. Call us today and try it for yourself and see why so many people enjoy Simon Maddox's painting and kitchen removal. Go on, you daft twat.